Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. So, Dax is in a stage right now where Everything is why, why? You know, asked to do anything, well, why? You know, I mean, it doesn't have to be big tasks either. It could be small tasks, just, you know, would you go from here to there, well, why? Could you turn off the TV, why? You know, why? And there's a big part of me and Dana that at times we're like, we cannot wait. We cannot wait till the why is over, the why stage, right? And, and we're looking for that day. And then it occurred to me that for humans, for us, why never ends? We are always in the why stage. It's just more prolific when you're six years old than when you're 36 years old, right? But we all are people that say why. When bad things happen to us, we say why. When things that we don't understand and things that are just unjust occur, you say why. When you get the report from the doctor that is less than optimal, You look at God and you say, why? When you get the pink slip at your work or you find out that your kids are involved in something that's just breaking your heart, you say, why? Why? And you know what? The reality is that the people that lived in Paul's day 2,000 years ago are no different than us. And when Paul found himself, himself in chains, And he was looking at a pretty grim report that he would one day go before the executioner's sword. His friends evidently, especially his friends in Philippi, were saying, why, Paul? Why is this happening to you? If God is as powerful as you say he is, if he had the ability to raise his son from the dead then why are you going through this right now? Couldn't God, couldn't King Jesus get you through this? And I believe that part of Paul's writing of the Philippian, of the book of Philippians to the church in Philippi was to answer the question, why? Why is this happening to me? Why am I in jail right now? Why do I have chains on me? Why am I imprisoned in a home with some of Caesar's guard watching me every day? Why am I probably going to go and die at the sword of the hands of an executioner? Why are all these things happening? Paul attempts to answer that, and that's what we're going to look to. If you have a copy of Scripture, I invite you to go to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 12. Uh, Paul says, he writes, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Why? Paul's saying, why is this happening to me? It's to advance the gospel. It's so that the name of Jesus would be known far and wide. It's so that people would understand that this, the forgiveness of sin uh, through, the, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ has occurred in this world. It's to let people know that they can have hope 
in a hopeless situation. It's to proclaim to the world that we no longer have to fear death and hell and judgment because of the work of Christ on his cross and because of his resurrection from a tomb that we can have hope. And Paul is saying, hey folks, these chains show us incredible hope. These chains point to something bigger than a man in prison. You see, the reality is Paul's friends chose to observe the darkness and focus on the darkness. And that's, that's a human condition, isn't it? That's what we so often do. We can so often focus on the darkness. But for Paul, Paul was saying, hey, I can make a case for these chains and I can show that these chains are so precious that they shine the brightest in the darkest of situations. What is it? What is it? Well, it's not really the chains that shine so brightly. It's what those chains represent for Paul. And he goes on to define that in verse 13. Paul continues and he says, as a result... It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. You see, Paul's chains proclaim the truth of the gospel. It just made sense in Paul's day when those guards come to and from to run their shifts, run their tours of duty, their time with Paul. They would see this criminal who was a very special criminal because he was situated in a, his own house and he was chained up. He was, he was, his freedom was reduced. He had no freedom whatsoever. It would be easy for these guards to go, well, this is clearly a political prisoner. This man is clearly some potentate. He is some king. He is some emissary from a faraway country. He's a very powerful Powerful man and Caesar is keeping his thumb on him to keep the people from rebelling in whatever land he leads. And as these guards hear that Paul is no leader of his people, he is no nobleman, he is no king, they go, well, what is the case? He must be some terrorist. Does this man have such sway with a terrorist organization within Rome itself that he could cripple, he could topple the uh, government of Rome, he could upend the, the monarchy, the, the, those tyrants who call themselves leaders in Rome? And then they listen to Paul and they say, this man has no political affiliation. He has no, no uh, group of people that, that are swayed by his words. What is it that caused this man to receive such attention and receive the chains? And then they come to discover it's for a message. That message being the, the, the suffering, ignominious death of Jesus Christ, his burial in a borrowed tomb. And three days later, his physical resurrection from that tomb. That very message is so offensive to the powers of this world that this small, humble Jewish man had to be imprisoned by the mightiest power in all of history to date. Well, how could that not preach the gospel? How could that not cause a guard who's asking questions to say, what is going on here? Why is this man's message so offensive? And we see the gospel going to people who would have never paid attention to it before. But Paul continues on and not only does he look at his chains and see that it proclaims and it propels the gospel. We see in verse 14 that Paul continues on and he says, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. 
You see, human reasoning would say, well, if Paul is in that position, that would squash his mission, wouldn't it? That would crush anybody's willingness to go out there and share the gospel, proclaim the gospel further, right? Because if that happened to Paul, it will happen to us. But Paul sees the exact opposite happening. He's saying, hey, people within the church, people who are watching me are gaining confidence because what they were evidently doing is they were saying, you know what? I could live faithful to the gospel. I could be, I could do what Christ is calling me to do because after all, if Paul can endure it, if he could put chains on his wrists, then surely I could be faithful to how Christ has called me to live today. And so Paul saw a confidence being built within the church because of the burden, the chains he had to wear. Today is a day of diminished confidence within our ranks, isn't it, folks? People are scared to gather because what could happen to them? Could they get ill and die? We're scared many times. Many of our People are frightened to speak into government, speak into cultural issues because we're afraid we'll be shouted down as a hateful person. We'll be shouted down as being judgmental. We'll be shouted down for being people that are uncaring and, and, and mean. And so for many of us, we're discouraged. I would present to you, as we think on the chains of Paul, that would add incredible confidence to us. Because the reality is this, as I, and I was, I was in, I, uh, you know, about a month ago, when we first talked about all the, the race things that were happening within our culture, I made a pledge. What, what was my pledge? I said that I would, I would get around people who are not like me and listen to them. And I told you that I would read and I would, would try to educate myself as best I can. I, have, I want you to know I've, so far to date, I report to you that I am honoring those commitments. And I have had a couple of opportunities now to be around people that were uh, very different than me and listen to their stories and hear from them. And honestly, one of those engagements went incredibly well, went so well. Uh, another one of those engagements went off the tracks and it's terrible, terrible experience. The most recent one I had, terrible. The difference I would surmise is the first one, I was around Christ followers who were, were African-American pastors who had the spirit of Christ in them and, and we, could, we could relate through the spirit of Christ. And we knew that we had that in common. And so that was greater than any color, any division, any, any racial thing. And so we could work through that to talk about the differences. The other one had some Christ followers in it, but it also had people who were not Christ followers and they were filled with such hate and their goal. I experienced my, my experience of just being in there. Their goal was to burn anything that I had my hands on down to the ground because just because they were so angry and so mad. And, and for the record, I, 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 I'm, I was sad for their hate because their hate came from somewhere, right? It came from somewhere. I was sad for that and I was sad that they're experiencing that. But the thing that saddened me the most is the things that they were propounding, the things that they were saying of education opportunities, uh, new resources coming to their communities, uh, political solutions, it occurred to me that all those things could happen. And you know what? The hate's still going to be there. 
the anger is still going to be there. Knowing what I know about history, chances are what will happen is if, if that, were, that group were to win, what would happen is they would turn that hate on each other then, and they'd start eat, eating each other up, is what I would experience. But that's neither here nor there. That's an additional, that's an aside to my sermon. What I'm trying to say is this. I'm trying to say that we live in a society now. We live in a time where we can be very discouraged. But I'm telling you, the answer we have to offer is the only hope that our world has. More education will not help America today. More money will not help America today. More vacation time for each person will not help America today. Um, a better job for every American will not help Americans today, nor the world around us. The only hope that we have for this world is that every person, every person that has influence would bend their knee to the cause of Jesus Christ. Every person would submit to the forgiveness that Jesus offers, confess their sins, and understand that we are broken people, and the only hope we can have is for Jesus to fix us from the inside out. And we work through that gospel. But it takes incredible confidence for us to proclaim that. Paul said that it was his chains that gave the people of his day the confidence to do that. And I say that it's looking at Paul's chains that can give us confidence today to share that message to our friends and our family and to the culture around us. But Paul didn't stop there. He continues on in verse 19. And he says to us, for I, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by my death. What Paul was saying was he was saying his chains will precede his deliverance. Paul had a confidence saying that I know that I'm proclaiming. These chains proclaim the truth of the gospel. These chains provide confidence for people watching me. But he's also saying these chains will precede my deliverance in life, which I would argue is a miracle. That is a miracle for Paul to be where he's at, where he is in certain, he is certainly going to die. He is able to look and say, I will be delivered one day. How could he have such confidence? How could he make such a bold statement? How can Paul believe this? It's because he knew something that we need to know today. It's honestly, he knew something that few of us know and practice today. He knew something that, can I share pastorally with you right now? And, and I realize that when I do that, that precedes usually me offending or ticking somebody off. And so I apologize up front too. But here's the reality. As the pastor of this church, as your pastor, I recognize that many of us don't know this secret. And when we go into eternity, we are going to sorely regret that we did not learn this secret on this side of eternity, on the side of life. I think that many of us have not learned this secret that Paul has talked about. And we are going to have a rude awakening when we're in God's presence for the very first time. What is that secret? Well, let's just look at what Paul writes in verse 21. He says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
If I am going, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary that for you that I remain in, in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. You see, Paul is saying, hey, in front of me, there's a choice here. I can live for Christ or I can die. There's my two choices. There's my two choices in life. If I live, I'm living for Christ. If I live, I'm serving in the name of Christ. There's choice one. And choice number two is I can die. And you know what? That is far better. I would prefer, if we read through the lines here, I'm hearing Paul say, you know what? I would actually prefer death. I would prefer to die because then that means I am ushered in. I'm ushered into the kingdom of God. And I will sup, I will dine that night with my Savior, with my Lord. I will never be broken ever again. I will never feel heartache ever again. I will never experience sadness, but I will be in Abraham's bosom, dining, feasting, celebrating with my living God, and I will rule with him in eternity forever. For me, those two choices are the choices I have in our life, in my life. The reality is this, me and you, if we're honest, we have choices too, right? And if you and I were totally honest, transparent with one another, taking our religious masks off, and we were to talk to one another, we would say this, oh yeah, the choices I have today, Tony, I have this, I have a choice of where do I eat at? I'm going to go to Jose Locos, or I could just go to Taco Bell. I could go, I could go to a fish place, or I could go to a burger place. I go to a steak place, or maybe I just go home and grab something, for a leftover. I have a choice like that. Then the next choice is, well, what? What am I going to do today? Well, I could watch TV or I could, I could go somewhere else. I could go to the lake. I could go do this. What's the choices I have today? The choice I have to live with now is where do I go to vacation? What do I do? You get the point. The point I'm trying to make here is we have a lot of choices in our lives. And for most of us, we get so wrapped up in the choices of how I'm going to entertain myself, how I'm going to take care of myself, me, me, my, my, everything that I love about me and my, myself, those people close to me that make me happy and give me joy. Those are the things I'm concerned about. But Paul is not worried about where he's going to vacation or what he's going to do tomorrow. He's saying, look, the two choices in front of me, I can live for Christ. I can live and serve him and make my life a sacrifice in his name. Or I could, or I could, I could die. Those are my two choices. Those are my two options. For him, his life was much simpler, wasn't it? Than, than, it, than we make it for ourselves. For ourselves, maybe we should begin to start simplifying ourselves to the point of where we don't get so inundated in how I'm going to spend every opportunity of my life to get, get, get. And instead I say, okay, God, my life is about giving, giving, giving for your cause, giving for your namesake. And when that's over, then it's me dying, me dying and being in your kingdom and coming before your throne and embracing you and your people in eternity. Those were the choices that Paul was making. For Paul, his choice was to be with Christ or to work for Christ. That's it. That's it. What, what was the secret that Paul figured out? Hear me. Here's the secret. Loud and clear. I'm going to make it very clear. Paul figured out and lived it out. Life was not 
about him. Paul learned life was not about me and my preferences. Life was not about me and my happiness. Life was not about me and me being comfortable in my personal enrichment and making life comfortable for me. But Paul, for Paul, life was about how can I live for Christ? Or is it time for me to go to Christ? That was what Paul figured out. So I come to this passage and I ask the question, am I willing to take on some chains for the cause of Christ on planet Earth? Now, hear me clearly. I've been, obviously, I don't know if you've noticed or paid attention, but you know, I've been wearing these chains today. Don't know if you even paid attention to them or saw them, right? These chains are a reminder of what Paul wore. And I ask the question, are we willing to put these chains on ourselves? Now, I recognize for the vast majority of people listening to this talk, these chains are not physical chains. Although it is important to note and remind ourselves that more people today are imprisoned, tortured, and ultimately lose their lives for the name of Jesus than ever before in the history of, of Christianity. If we think that martyrdom and the reality of Christians dying for their faith was something we read about in history books and something that happened under the Caesars by, being, by people being thrown into the gladiatorial ring. That's untrue, that there are people today dying in the Mideast, people today dying in Asia, people today dying in South America, people today dying in Central America, people today dying in Africa for the name of King Jesus. And for those people, they take a literal risk and they know they will literally be putting chains on their bodies. They will lose property, they will lose family, and then ultimately many of them will lose their lives. But for us at this point in American culture, American history, we don't have that stark of a reference point that we will have to live under. But, but think about the chains as a metaphor. Think about these chains. They could be a burden that you have to carry that maybe you wouldn't have to carry if you weren't a Christian. They could be a responsibility you have to carry that other people around you don't carry. Maybe you give away a freedom or a choice that you would normally live out gets hindered because you are saying yes to what God has for your life. Maybe for you it's comfort. And that life could be a lot more comfortable if you did not live out the cause of Christ in your life. I shared this and I think it's important to share it again. You know, I recognize that there's a special set of chains that pastors sometimes wear. Pastor, uh, pastors who are called to pastor as far as that have a title bequeathed upon them, like myself or Pastor John, and then also just people who are given the, the title, given, given uh, uh, a heart of being a pastor, who serve as a pastor to the people around them, perhaps as small group leaders or just shepherding other people. Uh, you know, I recognize, and you, and you say, well, give me an example, because from, from my vantage point, you got a good income, Tony, and you got a good job, so how's, what, what kind of burden do you have? Well, uh, here, here's a burden that's reality. I, I can promise you that every day that I've been a pastor, or every week that I've been a pastor, at least three out of seven days, at some point in the night, I will wake. And I'm not thinking about going downstairs to grab a ham sandwich or to, to, you know, that I'm hungry or that I need to go get a drink of water. But I wake because one of you are on my mind. 
And I just take that to be the Holy Spirit saying, get on your knees now and pray for this person. That is a burden. It would be nice to go seven days a week and sleep eight hours a night without being woken up or know that I'm becoming a man of a certain age. So yes, I understand I'm waking up now because I have to go use the restroom, right? I take that burden and I don't hesitate for taking that burden because that is what God has called me to. I share that not for you to go, oh, he, he, he's so spiritual or, oh, what, what a servant heart he has. No, the, and, and that, that goes to show why do we take these burdens? Why do we, why do we take these chains on? A, if you think, well, you take this burden on willingly because it somehow makes you more righteous, that, that you're saying, well, I'm unrighteous now, but by doing these things, I've become more righteous, so therefore God will love me. That's not the gospel, is it? Because again, the gospel is you were broken, Christ fixed you, period. You could not do anything to make yourself more holy or more righteous or find yourself more in love or more loved by God from any actions you do. So we don't take these chains on to become more righteous. We don't take these chains on because we feel like God is angry with us and mad at us. And so by putting a chain on, somehow I'm paying my debt forward. I'm paying the debt that I owe God. No, because the debt was already paid in the blood of Jesus Christ. The reason we take this this chain on, this burden on, is found in verse 27. Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Why do I put on a chain in the name of Jesus and I carry a burden or push my, my own needs aside for a season. It's not to be more holy. It's not so that God will love me more. It's not so that people will think I'm better than other people. No, it's not to display any kind of goodness or merit. It's to live as a response for what has changed me. To take hold of that which has taken hold of me. The reality is that Jesus saved us and he's changed us, and so he's changed our passions for what we live for. And part of what we live for is to live for others and to live for the gospel. You see, the gospel is not just about us waiting that moment, getting our punch card to heaven, and we just live on this earth waiting to go to heaven when we die. No, the gospel answers the question of how we should live today how we should treat other people today. It penetrates every nook and cranny, every corner of my life. And I realize the gospel is not about my personal comfort, but it's to attach eternal purpose to my life. It's to attach eternal meaning to what this world, what, what this person offers this world. Imagine, imagine what your neighbor's would respond instead of you griping about how how you know this world is making it's such a terrible place now and it is i don't diminish that fact instead of you griping about how difficult covid is making our life and it is i don't diminish that but instead of us complaining all the time imagine what the impact would be if our neighbors see us willingly putting the chains of christ upon our lives and serving them without any expectation for them to serve us back. 
Imagine what our government officials would think of us if instead of, you know, uh, Dana and I had an encounter with with a family member of the mayor uh, this week, who I might remind you, I know the mayor is part of our faith community. He is a Christian. Imagine how frustrating it is when this family member was telling Dana how how that there has to be police in front of the mayor's house. Remind you, the mayor gets paid zero dollars. He is doing this for free, okay? And there has to be now security at his house 24-7 because so many people who've identified themselves in the name of Christ that they're going to come and hurt him. Just imagine if those people, instead of coming and claiming and threatening physical injury and talking about how terrible he is and how he must be an agent of Satan, imagine if people would just gladly pick up and put their chains on and tell the, the community and the culture of, hey, you know what, we're here to serve. How can we serve? How can we help right now? How can we be an agent of blessing rather than cursing you? How would that impact our world? How would that impact the family members who are in your families who are far from Christ? And yes, whether you realize it or not, they are watching everything you do and they're watching every attitude you take. How how would that change them? Imagine what that could do if they just see us voluntarily placing the chains around our necks. What I want to do is we're going to close this time and I'm just going to pray for us that we that God would help us to identify what burdens and what chains that are there in front of us that he is calling us to put on for his glory. His glory to, his, and, and, and to, to proclaim the gospel, to encourage and to give confidence to our brothers and sisters, to ultimately point to our deliverance that God so richly provides. I'm going to pray for us that we would identify those chains and that we would have the strength to put those chains on because here's what happens. And and I find this even in the life of me. I mean, this is something I struggle with that I put those chains on, but you know what? It's a daily occurrence that it has to happen. And I met a lot of brothers and sisters who they maybe have spent a lifetime putting their chains on 20, 30, 40 years. And then one day something snaps. I don't know what it is, but something snaps and they just say, you know what? I've done that enough. I'm going to set those there. I'll come back to them one day, but I'm going to live for me for a while. Here's what I've found is oftentimes when people make that decision, very rarely do they ever find their way back to pick those chains back up again. So I'm going to pray for us as we identify and try to figure out what are those burdens? What are those times where we have to maybe say no to some personal freedoms or some personal... uh, just fun time? What what are the things that we are called to carry in the name of Christ? Pray with me. Father, you are holy, you are good, you are righteous. And Lord, even though you are so large as we proclaim today that the earth and the stars and the sky, the rocks and the water, they call your name out and they worship you. And in in the same level, so will we, God. So will we. We worship you today. And Lord, we ask, your children ask you, would you help us identify this week chains that we are called to carry, burdens that are meant for us. Lord, my prayer is that this talk 
I get that most people hear 100 plus sermons every year, and so it's very easy to be impacted for 20 minutes, and then we go home and we forget all about it. God, would your, the agency of your Holy Spirit impact us in such a way that these words and this text from Philippians would just be inscribed in our hearts this week, and we would be challenged and we would think deeply about what are the burdens, what are the chains we are called to carry, God. And Lord, give us the strength to pick them up and put them on, in your son's name, with your Holy Spirit's power. These things we pray in your son's powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.